Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Poems, Prayers, and Promises, a look at a variety of psalms. The psalms are the prayers of God's people, encouraging and teaching us how to pray in our day. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. Psalm 63, the whole chapter, one through 11. Uh, and the key point, key idea, key, key thought that we want to continue to harp on this morning and hopefully get into your heads, it's not playing the harp. Um, the only God can satisfy your soul. Only God can satisfy what you long for. And are we content in the completed work of Jesus Christ? Or more appropriately, will you decide to be content? in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Because it's a, it's a mind shift. It's a mind shift. It's something that you have to decide that you're going to do every morning when you wake up and then every hour that you're awake. Because it's so easy for all of us to be distracted. We are just a distracted bunch of people. There are people out there right now that aren't even hearing me because you're distracted. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. All right, so we're going to play some trivia this morning. Um, what was the number one song, rock and roll song, and this is going back, so only a couple of the gray hair guys might know this, in 1965, the summer of 1965. What? Look at that. James is the oldest guy in the room. <laughs> so that song, written by uh, Mick Jagger, He's driving in his car, a man comes on the radio, he tells me more and more about some useless information that's supposed to fire my imagination. That's the opening line to that song, okay? That was 1965. That's a long time ago. For those of you who were alive, I wasn't. I was eight years later. Um, but for those of you who were alive, that's a long time ago. Life was simpler, much simpler. Now there's so much distraction, there's so much going on that to think that he thought that then, in the same, we're in the same situation now, and as we go through this, we're gonna see that we were in the same situation in the beginning, all right? It's, it's, like I said, it's something we need to decide to do. We are not a victim of our circumstances, okay? We have to decide that we're gonna be content. And if you think about the Rolling Stones, you know, that was their first US number one song. They had a couple in the UK before, but these guys had the world really in their hands. I mean, they didn't have to think about money. You know, they, their careers were on fire. They could do anything they wanted to do. And what did he say? I can't get any satisfaction. So it's not our circumstance. It's our heart. So the opening to Psalm 63, 1A, uh, as David called it in his sermon, I like that. My soul thirsts for you. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Okay? My soul thirsts for you. So to really set this up, um, we need to see where David was in the wilderness of Judah. Like when, when did that happen? So David was, was in the wilderness a couple different times, twice in the wilderness of Judah, twice running for his life, wanting to be, men wanting to murder him. Okay, the first time it was when he was running from Saul. 
The second time was when he was running from Absalom, his son. Okay? This is the second time. This is after he's the king already. So we know that from, from verse 11 of the scripture as we read it. So this is the second time that he's running for his life in the wilderness of Judah, running from Absalom. So Absalom is his third son. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Absalom here in a second. But it's, Psalm 63 is written when he's in a cave in a desert. You know, he's hiding himself. He is very much worried for his life. David has a small group of men around him. Now, they are David's warriors. They are his fiercest men, okay? He does have a good group of guys around him, but, but it's very small. Absalom, on the, on the flip side, in 2 Samuel 14.25, it describes him as the most handsome man in the kingdom. Okay, so this guy was a good-looking guy, all right? People just, like, said, man, that's a good-looking guy. Um, at an early age, he moved to the capital, which was Jerusalem, he spent most of his life in that capital, around the people, a man of the people. He was actually his father's favorite son. It actually says in Scripture, he was his father's favorite son, which is really interesting because, you know, turn around and he's chasing him to kill him. He's charming. <clears throat> he's uh, very smart in the way he deals with people. He's, he's a judge. Uh, he, he loves the pomp and royal pretensions you know, he captivates the hearts of people. He's, he's a man of the people. He's out. He's in the city. He's drawing men to him, okay? So he's drawing men to him, you know, left and right. So all these guys want to go ahead and, you know, be with Absalom. So Absalom, his own son, who at this point is trying to murder him, okay? At this point, Absalom has got all the people. He's, he's conspired against David. Uh, you can read the whole story in 2 Samuel 16 through 18 if you want to read the whole story. Um, he's conspired against David. He has all of the kingdom basically on his side to go down and hunt down David and kill him. And that's, that's where we're picking up David writing this psalm. Um, so this psalm is written as David is fleeing from Absalom. His men, which were all fighting men, as we said, are all with him, but they're constantly running, constantly hiding, constantly, there's no rest. They're up all night. You know, when, when's the best time to attack an enemy? Anybody who's been in the military? At night. When do we get when do we get bin Laden? At night. Okay, that's that's when attacks happen. Okay? That's when things like that happen. So there's no rest for them. So they're they're weary, they're tired, they're hungry, they're in a desert. There's not a lot of water, there's not a lot to eat. Um, you know, it's not the best of circumstances when he writes this psalm. So so think about, you know, when we have our downtimes and our and everything else are going on, they don't even Compare. They pale in comparison to what he's got going on. So we're going to go ahead and read the whole 63rd Psalm. And as everybody who comes up here every Sunday, this is the most important thing that we do every Sunday. So the Word of God, these 11 verses, grab, grab onto them, catch onto them, think about them, meditate on them. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. 
when I remember you upon my bed and meditate you, meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword, and they shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Amen. Amen. So what are the things that we can do as we read through that psalm that, I got four points, um, that we can do as we read through that psalm that will help us understand, to begin to understand how to be content. All right, and the first thing he talks about in the first two verses, and that's to seek. We need to diligently seek after the Lord. You know, this is the refresher course. You guys all know this. I, I get it. But we need, to, we need to be reminded. We need to seek after God. We need to, we need to purpose ourselves to seek after God. Because if we don't, we're distracted. So this first two verses... You know, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. This is beautiful poetry, guys. David's saying, Lord, I'm thirsty. I'm ready to pass out. I'm dehydrated. You know, I'm in a desert spot here. I am in trouble, okay? Physically, he's in trouble, but he's not really talking about that, is he? He's talking from his heart to God that I am in trouble spiritually right now. There is so much coming against me right now spiritually that my actual physical hunger, my physical thirst, it it's, it's, doesn't matter as much as it matters for me to understand more who you are so that I can get through what's coming at me, which remember is his son. So he is physically thirsty, and he is physically hungry, but that's not what he's talking about. This, this whole psalm is David crying out to God, saying, I need more of you. So he's in, he's in a situation of pretty serious distress. He, and he's not talking about the physical needs. I mean, when we're, when we're in that situation, what, what do we do? I mean... Honestly, we probably get a bottle of water, right? You know, I mean, it's, it's, we're, we are, at least I am, I shouldn't say we, I shouldn't category, categorize everybody here, but generally when things come against us, you know, God is not our first answer. Um, usually we try to find some way that we can get ourselves out of certain said circumstances in our own power, um, and generally it's not always good. I mean, that's honestly, you know, if God is even on the list at all, it's probably a miracle for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's at the very end. After I've tried all the stuff I can try, maybe God has something for me. I don't know. But David, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. God, I'm chasing after you. God, I need you. God, I have an army, beyond armies coming after me, and I need you. So, you know, going back to, going back to us, 
you know, we're, we're kind of built on a, America is built on a culture that when that stuff happens, you know, we just need stuff. I mean, you know, something bad happens to your car, for say, you know, you get a flat tire. Well, I, I'll get a new car. I need better stuff. I'll get a car with running flat tires. I got better stuff. <laughs> you know, now I won't get flat tires anymore. I just spent all this money. And, you know, and, and that moment that you purchase that car, you know, you're like, man, this thing is the greatest thing ever. I love this thing. And like six months later, it's the dirtiest, rattiest looking thing. Kids been in it, it's trash all over it. And you're like, I don't, I don't even want this thing anymore, but now I gotta pay for it for the next, like, well now, what's a car loan now, like 10 years? <laughs> you know, you're paying for this thing forever. And, and you're, you're content in that one second that you bought it, but it's so fleeting. You're always on to the next thing, the better thing, the better model. You know, there's, there's always gonna be a 2.0. There's always gonna be something better. And, and, you know, we're, we're so distracted. I don't know if you guys remember this. There was a Hyundai commercial. It was probably about a year ago. It was their top line. I think it was their Genesis car or whatever. Um, guy's going down the road. He's driving. I don't know. I didn't bring my phone up. I was going to grab my phone. It's in my bag. Imagine I have a phone in my hand. Um, guy's driving down the road. He's looking, at, he's looking at his phone like this, you know, stopping at a green light like we always do. Um, somebody got it. Uh, <laughs> um, as we always do. And all of a sudden, you know, somebody walks out in front of him, and he starts to go. And the car stops automatically, because the car has sensors on it. So the car stops automatically. So what is that telling us as a, as a people? Like, we are so daggone distracted, and our, our contentment is so everywhere, everywhere but not, nowhere, okay, that we need better stuff to not kill people. Accidentally, of course. I mean, but it would still be vehicular manslaughter, I think. I'm not, a, I'm not a police officer, but I believe that would be the term. And, and our culture just says, get better stuff. Yeah. You know, David was in a position where he was king. He probably, he probably could have done things differently. I don't know, but his, his reaction wasn't, you know, I need bigger armies. I need, I need you know, better ammunitions. I, I need more food. I need more water. I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. It was, God, my soul. I thirst for you. I thirst for you. I know that the only way through this is by coming to God. And this has become one of my favorite psalms. And I'll be honest with you, before I taught it, I don't think I ever read it. So St. Augustine, just to go back to our, our history, I should have had James, you know, do more trivia. Um, St. August, Augustine in his commentary on Psalm 63 that was written somewhere between 392 and 418 AD, okay? This is what he had to say about it. Longing there are in the hearts of men. One longs for gold, another longs for silver, another longs for possession, another inheritance, another an abundance of money, another many herds, another life, another honors, another sons. You see these longings, they are in the hearts of men inflamed with longing. Scarce is found one to say, my soul thirsts for you. Forget this world. I seek after you, not after your comforts, but after your will. Okay? That was 1,600 and some odd years ago. Same problem exists. Okay? Same problem exists. So don't, don't blame America. Don't blame culture. Don't blame technology. You can really only turn that blame finger right around at yourself. 
and it's a condition of the heart, okay? We all have a heart condition, and you know, it's not ever present, but it's in all of us. It's part of who we are, and it's something that we need to continually check. We need to be content in Christ, content in Jesus, content in what he has given us. Um, I think Bobby said it this morning, it may have been David, but it's all his. It's all his anyway. We're just a steward, okay? It's all his. All right, so the next, so that was, that was the first point was seek him. Next point is we need to praise him. So a result of seeking God and, and, and hopefully finding glimpses and pictures and pieces of God, that's going to that's gonna make you want to praise him, okay? Because you're going to see how awesome God is. You know, if you walk outside and it's a beautiful sunny day at 70 degrees and, you know, you just think, you know, I live in California, San Diego, and this is what life is. If we in Maryland see that any time over the next couple days, we would just be like, thank God. <laughs> because it's 100 degrees, and it's 100% 100 humidity. This is horrible. Um, it's, it's a matter, it's the same day, but it's just a matter of, of how we look at it and the perspective of it. All right, so praise him. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I bless you as long as I live, and in your name I lift up my hands. Okay, at this point, David was a king. He's been through a lot. He's confident in who God is. He understands who God is. He understands that, you know, your steadfast love is better than life. That's quite the statement when he's really cornered, you know, being chased. His life may be being ended soon. And he says, you know what? It's okay. It's all right. Your steadfast love is better than life. I'm going to praise you. I am going to bless you, as you know, as long as I live. Thinking that, thinking that phrase may have been for the next couple hours. He didn't know. He didn't know how long he was going to live at that point. I mean, none of us do. Every moment is a gift of God. But when you have somebody chasing you to murder you, it's probably a little bit different feeling. So when we, when we meditate on his steadfast love, uh, the result of that, praising him, the result of that should be worshiping him. Uh, and... and you know, sometimes I think we get worship twisted, so this is like a mini-sermonette. Um, worship is everything we do towards God. Uh, Tom and his team, they stand up here and they sing four or five songs every Sunday morning, and we worship corporately, which is awesome, and that is a form of worship. Hearing God's word is a form of worship. Praying by yourself in the corner is a form of worship. Reading your Bible is a form of worship. Sharing the gospel with somebody else is a form of worship, okay? Praying with a brother or sister, you, you kind of get the point, okay? So sometimes people kind of think, you know, if I read the Bible too much and I do this too much, do that too much, you know, I, I get kind of heady and kind of intellectual and, you know, I, I don't really worship the same because worship's more of an emotional experience. Worship is all those things. Worship is all those things you do, okay? So it's, it's, it all feeds your soul. So David in the pit of despair, says, your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. And that was um, a decision. Okay, we talked about it in the beginning. You've got to purpose your heart. He's, he's saying this, I think, out loud. Maybe he's just writing it down. But I think he's saying, I will bless you as long as I live, and, and I will praise you. I will lift up my hands. I will praise you. I will lift my lips. I will praise you. You know, I think he's probably you know, psyching himself up a little bit here because it's, it's, he's, a, he's at a position in life where life is fleeting. But David is content. 
He's content to praise and worship God. He's content that if God takes his life, that it's his time to go. He's content in God. He's content in Christ. And, and really the most important thing that he's doing here is recognizing who God is. And I think a lot of times we make little of God and big of ourselves. That's generally what man, mankind does in general. Um, and we kind of forget how big God is and forget what God can do. But David's like, no, I recognize how big you are. I, I understand that I can live. And if I don't live, that's okay. It's all right because it doesn't matter because I'm going to be with my father. All right. Point three, to be satisfied with him and by him. Um, it, it, you know, we've been harping on this a lot. It's not easy to find ourselves in a situation where we're totally content. We always tend to be looking for something, whether it's a thing, relationship, um, who knows what it is. And, and, it does, and I'm not saying that any of these things are bad, so please don't understand it that, you know, we need to be like, you know, live with no materials and live in the desert with no house and et cetera, et cetera. That's not, that's not at all what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that we need to find our contentment in Christ. And all these other things are wonderful, but they're all just, you're just a steward. They're just things that God gave you to bless other people. They're just things, they're just, it's just a conduit. It's just a way that you can do something for somebody else. Um, but it's all, it's all about living through that lens. So my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. All right, so David's a king. He's probably living less comfortably than he's used to at this point. I'm, I'm sure he's still the king. I'm sure he probably has an okay place to, to he probably has the best place or, or you know, whatever it is to lay his head down, but they're in the desert. They, they ran. They literally, Absalom went to Jerusalem. David found out, going back to Samuel 16, David found out what was coming, and they took their stuff and left. There was no plan to leave. So it wasn't like he was able to like, pack his bags or anything else. He, he rolled out of town. So he's in the desert, and they just rolled out. I mean, they grabbed what they could grab, but it was like, we're out of here. So we're food people, right? Amen. <laughs> so... There's no food, there's no water. You know, he's in a desert, and, and his, his, his comment, I'm a food person, his comment says, I will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. So I don't know what that is for you. I don't know if that's a, a, a steak, a ribeye, a really good greasy hamburger, um, french fries. I don't know what it is, seafood, crabs. We have so, we have so much in this, in this world. <laughs> Salad, well, sorry for you. Uh, <laughs> um, that, that said, I mean, that's the satisfaction that he's finding in his, in his Lord, in, in God. He's finding that satisfaction. You know, we're, we're all, show of hands, who's going to eat lunch today? Pretty much everybody. Pretty much everybody's eating lunch. You're probably going to get something good because it's Sunday, right? You day off to Sunday. Maybe you're going to go to your favorite restaurant or do this, that, and the other. And that's a good time. That's something we enjoy. And that's what David's saying. David's saying, I enjoy you as much as a bacon cheeseburger. So, all right, we got one more trivia question. Let's see if uh, we've got sports fans out there. Anybody? Sports, 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 sports. A couple sports fans, a little bit. A little bit. All right. So, according to Vegas, 
All right, this is a betting, this is a betting question. According to Las Vegas, what is the biggest sports upset of all time? Sports odds upset. So if you Google it, you've got to put sports odds in there. Otherwise, I'll be wrong. Anybody? Boxing. It's boxing. Buster Douglas. Buster Douglas. So this is how, this is how David feels, I think. You know, he, he feels like he's coming up against Mike Tyson. All right, he's got, he's got these armies coming after him. At this point in Mike Tyson's career, he's 37 and 0 with 33 knockouts. I mean, he has not been touched. I mean, I remember this because I was a younger man then and I used to like to watch boxing at that point in time. And I remember we just stopped getting the pay-per-views. We, we would all get together, a bunch of buddies, we'd get the pay-per-view, we'd watch, you know, because they used to do that for like 100 bucks or whatever, you could watch boxing. We, we stopped watching it because it was like, it's going to be like 90 seconds. It's gonna, like he's going to roll through this guy so fast. This not even worth, it's not worth spending 100 bucks on. I mean, you could, you could see the whole fight on SportsCenter 10 minutes after it happened because it was just, he was just devouring people, just devouring people. So it's 50 to 1, 50 to 1. I mean, there's no chance in anybody's estimation that this guy's going to win. Yet he did. He upset at that point in time, probably the best boxer ever, maybe the best boxer ever to this point in time, I don't know. But he, he, he upset him. He did that. And that's the corner that David's in right now. David, David feels like he's getting ready to come up against this massive army. We're talking about the whole nation of Israel against David and his, his fighters. Okay? We're talking everybody is on Absalom's team at this point. Remember, he was a good-looking guy. He knew how to talk. knew how to draw people in. He had everybody on his team. Yet, what do we see David doing? What do we see David doing? He's worshiping God. He's praising God. He's seeking God. All right, the last, the last point is we need to recognize who God is. We need to recognize him. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Just a little side thing, is God right-handed? But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Okay, so once again... David is verbalizing, speaking, saying, okay, God, you're my provision. God, you're my help. God, your wing is sufficient for me. Your wing is going to keep me in this time of trouble. Okay, my enemies, this is the first time we've talked about the enemies, my enemies will be destroyed. I know this because I know who you are, and I know that you are going to preserve me. Preserve me, sorry. David knowing that God has upheld David the whole time. It's been, it's, been, it's been God holding David up. It hasn't been David, okay? And that's where we get twisted, where I get twisted. You know, I think I did all these wonderful and great things. You know, I did this, and I did that, and I did this. It's all because of my father. Anything that I do well is because of my father. Anything that I do poorly is because of me. Um, it was a joke. Um, but honestly, if we don't appreciate, if we don't 
recognize that point, we really can't praise him. We really can't seek him that well because we think we're doing it all ourselves. We can't recognize him. We can't, all these things don't work if we don't understand that God is upholding us. If we take credit for all the things that God does, and we think we did it all in our own ability, then we're basically just American, right? We just, we just think that, you know, we've got it all together. But, but honestly, we know, as Christians, and I know you all know, that God upholds you. God wants to uphold you. God wants to hold you even more as you praise him, as you seek him, as you recognize who he is. He, he wants you. So verse 9 is the first mention of his enemy. So it's interesting that, you know, you would think, like I would think, verse 1 would be the first mention of my worry. Right? I would, I would open up with, God, where are you? I'm in trouble. I got my son trying to kill me. That would probably be where my heart would be. Okay, his heart is postured such towards God that he, he praises God, he seeks God, he praises God. He, he's, he doesn't list his laundry list of troubles. He's praying to God in such a way that, that we need to, to posture and concentrate and do. Because what do we tend to do? We tend to go to the divine vending machine of prayer and push A6 and try to shake some grace out of that machine because it got stuck, right? <sighs> but we, we, don't, we don't tend to praise, 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 praise. You are great. You are awesome. You are, and oh, by the way, I got somebody trying to kill me. You know, we, 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 I mean, God knows that anyway. But he opens up, you know, we open up, sorry. We open up with just a laundry list of trouble. And then we're probably done after that. Okay, so, so as you read Psalm 63, look, look at it as a way to pray. Pray Psalm 63. Look at it as a way to pray. Look at it as a way to, to soulfully, thoughtfully pray to God. All right, so we're going to continue the story just so you guys kind of know the ending of Absalom. It kind of kind of be a horrible place to leave you with just not knowing what happened, right? So the enemy, Absalom, at this point, he's got all of the armies, he's got all of the nations, he's got all the pomp and circumstance, he's got all the armor, all the armaments, he's got everything he needs to take David out. He's got it all. Now, I'm not going to go through word for word for the story, because that would be a whole other sermon, but basically, David, being a pretty smart dude, sees that Absalom gets some really bad advice. And that bad advice is when to attack David. So Absalom follows the bad advice, attacks David when David's ready. Okay. In that battle, Absalom's army was completely routed. David and his, his skilled warriors ripped through these guys, like completely routed destroyed him. Absalom fled on a mule, they say, and as he was fleeing on the mule, he got his hair or head caught in a tree. The mule kept going, and he's stuck in a tree.
one of, hold on, a little technical difficulties here, I'm sorry. One of David's men found him in the tree, went back to one of the generals, Joab, and he said, Joab, you know, Absalom's in the tree. And Joab's like, well, why didn't you kill him? Why did you not kill him? And he reflects back and says, because David said, let no harm come to my son. Okay, so when you read 2 Samuel, David's going to say, you know, don't hurt this guy, it's my kid. Um, Joab, having offense with Absalom before, uh, they had some bad blood. We'll just leave it at that and not go through that story either. He went over and put three daggers into, or I think they said arrows, into Absalom and then got him out of the tree and left him, for his, left him, left him on the ground for his men to kill him, which they did. And then they put the word back to David that he had died. And David's heart was greatly sorrowed. And this is, a, this is the reason we went through the rest of the stories for this one, this one scripture out of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 18.33, this is what David says about his son. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So you talk about a guy who is content, okay? He'd have died. He'd have died for Absalom. Even though Absalom was after him, trying to murder him, trying to kill him, he knew this battle was imminent. But if it was God's will, he was ready to die. That is being beyond content. Because, I mean, when our back's up against the wall, that's not where our hearts are. It's not where my heart is anyway. I just wanted to read that scripture because I thought it was so powerful. All right, so we're going to come to a couple quick questions for applying the word. And then we're going to actually, we're actually not going to do communion this morning. We're actually going to have a response uh, song at the end. So we're going to sing a song. We're going to stand up, get you guys awake again, do all that. So these are questions that you can ask yourself. The first question is, is you probably know it's coming. Am I content? Are you content in your circumstances? Are you content at work? Are you content at home? Are you content with all of the world around you, with everything that's going on, with family life, with everything else, are you content? Are you happy where God has put you? Okay? And that's something that only you can answer. You just have to pray about it. You have to meditate on it. You have to seek it. You have to, you have to look to be content like we talked about. You have, to, you, have to, you have to chase contentment. Okay? That's something you have to purpose your heart to do. Second question is, when, when those things come, the difficult things come, uh, where do I look? Where should I look to be satisfied? Like, what, what are your go-tos? Like, you know, it might be a hobby. It might be your couch. It might be, uh, you know, a particular person. Um, it, it could be, and, and all those things there's nothing wrong with. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. That's all good stuff. But do we seek our satisfaction in Christ? Do we, do we seek our satisfaction in God? Is God? Do we see God as the source of our satisfaction? You know, God gave you you know, that hobby. God gave you that couch. God gave you that spouse. God gave you that best friend. God gave you that mom. God gave you that dad. God gave you whomever, however, whatever you're seeking after. Look, look at it through that lens. Look at it through the lens that because of God, this is here. And it changes the way, it changes the way our heart chases after it. Who, who is upholding me? Who? We, we read it. In our last, last trivia question, unplanned. Who's upholding us? 
God. God is upholding us. It said it right there, in our, in, right there in the text we read. He was upholding David with his right hand. Okay, God wants to uphold you. God wants to hold you up. God wants you to seek him. God wants you to praise him. God wants you to recognize him. God wants to hold you in his hand. He wants nothing more. Anybody here who's, who's a parent understands that. You want nothing more than see your child do well. How much more does God want to see you do well? I'm sure he's a better dad than most of us. Last question, and kind of funny because Bobby said this this morning when he prayed. Do I trust God? Do I really, honestly, without a shadow of a doubt, trust God? I mean, we say it, we sing it, we pray it, but search your heart. Search, search your hearts and say, hey, do I trust God? Because if we can honestly, earnestly trust God and know that he's going to be there, it changes our whole outlook. It changes everything. Now, you think about David, you know, the guy we're talking about. He had lions and bears and giants and King, King Saul and many battles and his son Absalom at this point and everything else. He saw God come through. He saw God come through in all of these things. So he trusted God. We need to reflect on our lives. We need to reflect on the times that God has come through. We all have them. We all have many times. We forget about them. Reflect on when God came through. Can you trust him? I can, without a doubt, because he's come through for me many times, many times. You know, many times my prayers were answered. Many times my prayers weren't answered. Many times they're still going to be answered. Who knows? But point being, he comes through for you. He knows what's best for you. He knows you better than you, which is kind of scary. But he's going to come through for you. So earnestly, earnestly look to trust God. I'm going to pray real quick, and these guys are going to sing a song, and then we're going to do a benediction. Father God, I pray, Lord, that uh, we could be men and women after your own heart, Father, just like King David was said to be, Father. We pray, Lord, that, you know, he had his mistakes, and we have our mistakes, Father, and we know that. That's okay. That's all right. We're bringing what we got, Father, and you're going to meet us there, Lord. And I, and I pray, Lord, that uh, we would just learn to, to be content in who you are, Father, and understand that all these external things, they really just don't matter. They really don't matter. Father, the only thing that matters is you and your kingdom. And if we can try to look through those lenses on all the decisions, the daily decisions of our lives, Father, I think that uh, you will be blessed, Father. You will be greatly blessed, Father. And that is honestly what we want to do, Father. We are here to be a blessing to you, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you know, as we go out today, we could, could have that on our minds and in our hearts, Father, in your name, amen. We're going to read together Psalm 63, 1 through 4. Okay, I would like to read this together as a congregation. This is, this is our benediction, but let's read it together. You ready? Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land, where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift my hands.
Amen. Amen. Go out and be blessed to be a blessing, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.